I've set myself a Christmas challenge, uh, and that is uh, to keep my sermon fairly short today. So that is my Christmas gift to you. You only have to listen to me half as long as you normally would. Merry Christmas, you're welcome. <laughs> so with Christmas Eve, we, we draw to the end of our Christmas season. And during this time, there, there are so many uh, just fun and enjoyable and good traditions that we keep here in North America. I think of uh, the lining of the Advent candles. Uh, I think of the uh, decorating of the tree, the giving of gifts uh, to those that, uh, that we love. We have good, wholesome traditions here in North America. Not so much other parts of the world. So consider Austria, for example. If you thought being on Santa's naughty list was the uh, worst thing to happen at Christmas, you've never heard of uh, Krampus night. Uh, Krampus night happens in Austria, and on the, uh, th there's a character called Krampus, who is Father Christmas's evil twin. Uh, and on the 6th of uh, December, the men in the town dress up in these uh, demon-like costumes, and they run around the town with sticks beating people, right? Uh, then we have Norway. Uh, it was Clement Clark Moore who wrote the famous words, uh, "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." That may be true in other households in other countries, but not in Norway, in Norway, they believe that on Christmas Eve, a witch is coming to town to steal all the brooms to ride on them. So they hide the brooms in a closet, and then the men go outside, and the entire night shoot shotguns into the air to scare away the witches. So much for Silent Night. <laughs> and then in Iceland, we have a character called the Yule Cat. Now, before you go, oh, cute, a Christmas cat. This is not the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat on Christmas Eve uh, runs around eating children. Uh, how it works is on Christmas Eve, if the, the, the child has done all of their homework and their chores, they get given new clothes. Uh, and if they haven't done their work or their chores, they, they don't get new clothes. And the Yule Cat only eats children in old clothes. And so that's how they determine uh, who the Yule Cat will eat. We have some great traditions when you look at that, right? And one of our great traditions is just Christmas carols. Uh, we just love these carols that we, we sing at Christmas time, the music that we hear on the radio. We just love these carols at Christmas time. And during the series, we've done that. We've looked at some of the carols that we know so well. These are well-loved carols, and we've looked at uh, what they tell us about the birth of the Savior. And this morning, I'm going to close our series by looking at the famous carol, Joy to the World. Joy to the World is actually the most published Christmas carol in all of North America. Uh, it was written, uh, it, it was published actually uh, over 300 years ago in 1719 by a minister called Isaac Watts. Now, if you don't remember the name Isaac Watts, you will remember some of his classic hymns. He wrote... When I survey the wondrous cross, and our God, our help in ages past, among others. But Isaac Watts did not even write Joy to the World as a Christmas carol. It was actually a poem, a poem based on his interpretation of Psalm 98. And because in the 1700s, because he dared 
to write a, a poem to be read in church based on a psalm and not just allow the psalm itself to be read. He was considered a heretic. And many ministers warned their congregations of the evils of listening or reading the music of Isaac Watts. Here's a strange thing. Isaac Watts didn't even write Joy to the World to be a Christmas carol. He never intended it for, for it to be a Christmas carol. And I'll tell you why a little bit later on. But Joy to the World became a Christmas carol by accident. About 120 years after uh, the, the song was written, a man by the name of Lowell Mason added music to it, the music that we know when we sing the carol, Joy to the World. He added music, and he published this song with the music a little while before Christmas. And so, Joy to the World was linked to Christmas and has been ever since. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the song. I want to look at Psalm 98 that it was based on, and the angel's message, which has a similar message to the song. So, firstly, both the song and scripture remind us of God's missionary heart towards us. The opening stanza is, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let the earth receive her king. The psalm that the carol is based on, Psalm 98, says, Sing to the Lord a new, sing, new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known, and he has revealed his righteousness to the nations. Message of the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 is, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This Christmas season starts with Advent. And Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the, the coming of someone, the arrival of someone. And that's what we do at Christmas. As we celebrate Advent, we think of the arrival of the Son of God sent to us. The Son of God who came for us, And as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate this idea of God becoming man, we remember that it was his missionary heart that sent Jesus to us. We didn't reach out to God. He reached out to us. Speaking of the arrival of Jesus, the disciple John says, So the word became flesh and made his home among us. The Bible commands human beings to pursue God. And, and, and Scripture tells us that when we do, when we seek Him, we will find Him. But Scripture also says that God is the initiator of those spiritual pursuits. The entire story of the Bible is God pursuing us. From the very beginning to the end of Scripture, God reaches out to us. He is the missionary that seeks us. After Adam and Eve uh, sin, they don't run towards God. Scripture says they hide. And it is God who goes into the garden to find them. That was the very first missionary outreach. God being a missionary to his 
people, the people that he loves. He reached down to us. The author Larry Libby, in his book Christmas Stories from the Heart, writes this. He says, late on a sleepy, star-spangled night, the angels peel back the sky just like you would tear open a sparkling Christmas present. Then, with light and joy pouring out of heaven like water through a broken dam, they began to shout and sing the message that Jesus had been born. The world had a savior. The angels called it good news, and it was. Secondly, both the song and scripture remind us that at Christmas we celebrate the birth of no one other than God himself. We celebrate at this time of year the birth of no one other than God himself. The opening line of the carol is, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. David writes in Psalm 98, With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the king. There are so many important aspects to the, to the Christmas story. Matthew introduces us to the wise men who travel from Persia, bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to lay down at Jesus' feet. Luke introduces us to the manger, the feeding trough for animals that this baby is, is, is placed in. He introduces us to the angels and their message and introduces us to the shepherds, the humble shepherds that receive this message before anyone else. John is very different. The disciple John starts his story of, of the arrival of the Son of God in a very different way. He doesn't point to a baby in a manger. He doesn't point to an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, John starts the Christmas story, as it were, by pointing out that this is no one other than God himself. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made without him. In the beginning was the Word, God himself. At a Christmas time, there are nativities, nativity scenes everywhere. And uh, we, we see them in shopping malls, we put them in our houses, we see them everywhere. And at the center of these nativity scenes, right in the middle, is a manger with a little baby in it. And it's easy at Christmas time to forget that this little baby is God himself. It's easy to, to see the baby and, and, and just continue to see him as a baby and not who he became. In 2003, I, I sat down to watch a movie called uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Do not watch it. Worst movie ever. About three minutes in, I realized this was awful and like a train accident happening in front of me, I kept watching, hoping it would get better, and it never did. So, do not watch Talladega Nights. 
But there's a scene in Talladega Nights where it's Thanksgiving, and, and the main protagonist of the, the film, Ricky Bobby, is saying grace at Thanksgiving. And so he starts to pray, and he keeps going, dear little tiny little baby Jesus, thank you for this food. Oh, little baby Jesus, thank you for all the blessings. Little baby Jesus. And then his wife interrupts, and she says, Ricky Bobby, you do realize that Jesus grew up, right? You do realize he became an adult. And then Ricky Bobby says this. He says, well, look. I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever you want. I like the Christmas Jesus, right? As we gaze upon this Christmas Jesus, it is so easy to forget who he is. It's so easy to just glance over this baby in a manger and forget who we are looking at. This baby is no one other than Yahweh in the flesh. Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the angel says to the shepherds, this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby in a manger. But, but verse 12 doesn't stand in isolation. Verse 12 is preceded by verse 11. And so before we told of a baby in a manger, we're told this. The angel says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the only time in all of Scripture where the titles of God, of Jesus, Messiah, and Lord and Savior are used in the same sentence. The only place in all of Scripture where all three titles are in the same sentence. And that's deliberate. The angel uses all three titles because the angel wants to make a point. The point is, there is a baby in a manger. But it's not just a baby. It's the Lord. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior. Underneath all of our traditions, all of our great traditions, the, the, the music and the food and the celebrations and the gifts is the reminder that we celebrate the arrival on earth of not just a baby boy, but God himself in the flesh. Matthew concludes his version of the Christmas story, saying this, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And thirdly, both the song and scripture remind us that joy is the appropriate response to the arrival of Jesus. Joy is the appropriate response to the arrival of Jesus. Opening words of the song, joy to the world. Psalm 98, the psalm, uh, the, 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 psalm the song is based on, David says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The message of the angel to the shepherds is, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Do you know who's really good at expressing joy? The people who are really good at expressing joy are the people like myself and Kim, born in Africa, born and raised in Africa. Africans know how to celebrate and express joy. When Africans are expressing joy, they sing and they shout and they beat drums And they play an instrument. Well, instrument's a strong word. It's a horn that makes one note, a B-flat. It's called the the, the vuvuzela. And if you come within within two meters of a vuvuzela, you're going to have a headache for three weeks. It is loud. And and when Africans uh, are celebrating and are joyful, they blow this this vuvuzela and they sing and they even dance. And, And the dance is only one move which is why I can actually do it. So I'll try and show you the dance. It's called the gumboot dance. And as I said, it's one move, and one move, and everybody will just do this over and over and over, and it goes. That's it. That's the whole move. But it's a celebration. It's, it's joyous. It's loud. They're dancing, singing. Do you know who really celebrates? Africans. You know who doesn't? North Americans. When we are really joyous, we might smile just a little bit more. And if we're feeling really, really happy, we might even clap our hands. Right? Africans celebrate. Not so much us here in North America. And yet joy is meant to be one of the defining characteristic traits of those of us who claim to follow Jesus. For those of us who say we are Christian, joy is meant to be something that everybody else recognizes. Joy is meant to be part of our spiritual DNA. Now, joy is not the same as happiness. I'm not speaking about happiness and putting on a fake smile when the world's falling apart around you. I'm not, that's not what joy is. The, word, the Greek word for joy is the word kara, and it's where we get the word charismatic from. And it doesn't mean happiness. It, it, it means it's an attitude. It's grace. It's kindness. It, it's life. The word itself occurs over 140 times in the New Testament, where often it it implies goodwill, being a blessing to those around you, loving kindness. And it is this manifestation of grace 
and loving kindness and a blessing to others that is meant to define us. Paul in his letter to Galatians includes joy as a fruit of the Spirit. To the Christians in Thessaloniki, he says, always be joyful. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. To the Christians in Corinth, Paul writes, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. We have a weak, tenuous relationship with that kind of joy. And it is affecting our witness to our family and our friends. We have such a weak relationship with joy. And everyone else can see it. Remember that I said Isaac Watts did not write this as a Christmas carol. Rather, he wrote it to describe the joy that we will feel when Jesus returns. He wrote it for the very opposite of what we use it. He wrote it to describe the joy that we will experience when Jesus returns. We use it for the joy at Christmas. And both are appropriate. Of course there's joy at Christmas. Of course there will be joy when Jesus returns. But here's my question. What about this bit in the middle? What about this bit in the middle? Far too often, our view of this world is completely and utterly negative. We think to ourselves, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Let's avoid society. It's dirty. It's corrupt. Let's just huddle together and then come, Lord Jesus, get us out of this hellhole. Far too often, that's how we view our society. Far too often. But that is not the message from God. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Now, you can ask any Christian, and they know that verse. For I know the plans I have for you. But you know the context of that verse? The people of Israel are in, in Babylonian captivity. To this day, that is still the darkest period of their history. It's the time when the entire book of Lamentations is written. When the people were in, in bondage and in captivity. And the false prophets say to them, Ignore the world around you. Hang tight. God is going to take us out of this very shortly. Hang in there. It'll soon be over. Stick together. And God responds and he says, do not listen to the false prophets. Do not listen to them. You're going to be here for seven decades. It's not going to be over shortly. And then God says, in the light of that, in the light of the, the fact that you are going to be here for seven decades, this is how you should live. God says this. He says, this 
is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, 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 seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Far too often we, we have this view of the world that it is so negative. Our society, we just want nothing to do with it. That's not the message from our Heavenly Father, and it's not the way Jesus lived. Jesus was a blessing to, to those who he encountered. He showed grace and mercy. People wanted to be near him and around him because he showed the kind of joy that we're instructed to have. And Jesus himself taught us to be like that. He said, be salt to the people around you. Be a light on a hill. Far too often we, we view the world around us as negative and it's affecting our witness. If we do not manifest grace and mercy and joy to those around us, why would we ever expect them to, to also want to be a follower of Jesus? If we show joy at Christmas, but we don't show joy between Christmases, we have failed. We have failed and we are harming our witness to those around us. Not the Christmas sermon you thought you were going to get, right? So what? So what? I love Christmas. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I just do. I love everything about Christmas, and I'm not alone. 26% of the Earth's population considers Christmas the most important of all celebrations. That's 2 billion people in 160 countries. And that's what makes Christmas so important. Underneath the traditions and the music and the gifts and the light and the food is a reminder that we celebrate on earth the arrival of no one other than God himself who came to reconcile us because we couldn't. That's the very essence of the good news. That's why at Christmas we tend to be a little bit more happy, have a little bit more joy have a little bit more kindness. But here's my challenge to each of you as we go into this new year. I want you to live that out between Christmases for two reasons. Because Jesus told us to. And because the people around us desperately need us to. Father, we just, we thank you.
that at Christmas there's just so much to be joyful for. So many traditions that bring us joy and light and life and fun. But most of all, it's the time we celebrate the arrival of your son. Come to this earth to save us. And that is why we have joy. Won't you help us as we move between Christmases to take that joy into the world around us? We ask this in your name. Amen.